0: Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. If you are searching for a podcast about crime relating to actual life events of military personnel, veterans, family members, and those associated with the military in any way, then have I got the podcast for you. Check out Military True Crime Addict Podcast, where the host will be exploring a plethora of actual true crime stories that have not been reported by any news outlet or media. Stories that upon hearing, you will be astounded by. History should have been told and reported on long ago. There will be detailed stories that touch on topics such as assault, harassment, sexual preference, abuse of power, PTSD, murder, hazing, rape, and all stories that in some way relate to our military, veterans, and their extended family. The hosts provide the voice of the victims and they hear their side of the story. They also raise awareness of the heinous crimes and those most impacted. You don't need to know anything about the military to enjoy this podcast. Listeners can hear true crime stories with the specifics of what occurred. You can check them out on Google Podcasts and Spotify. They are the Military True Crime Addict Podcast. Good evening, everybody. It's Tuesday, and Tuesdays mean a new episode of the Cold Case Road Trip. We are on stops 7 and 8, and we will be traveling to Guam and Colorado. Do you have your snacks ready? Now, I have to be honest, I don't have any snacks right now because my husband and daughter and I just got back from eating dinner at a local pizza place here called Lido, where their slogan says, we never cut corners because all their pizzas are square. The pizza that we got tonight is called the Hot Honey Pepperoni. Now, I am a pescatarian, so I don't eat meat except for seafood. So my husband just takes off all the pepperonis and I just eat the rest of it, which even without pepperonis is absolutely delicious. Let's head on over to our week slash weekend recap and take a look at what people said on Twitter. The Chicklet Podcast got to see their nieces and nephew and family this weekend for the first time in a long time, all thanks to the vaccine. And I am so very happy for you, Chicklet Podcast. I cannot wait to see my family. The I Had to Say It Podcast said that their good thing this week was that they got to pick up the new flooring for their house, but the bad is that they wrenched their back while unloading the truck. I'm excited about the new flooring for your house, and I'm really sorry that you hurt your back. Great Lakes True Crime Podcast said that, The good thing is that they're healing up nicely from their recent melanoma surgery, but obviously the bad thing is that they have melanoma. I hope that you do heal up really nicely and you have a speedy recovery, and I'm very sorry to hear that you have melanoma. The Stolen From Me by Lindsay podcast. Good thing this week is they reached 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, and the bad is that the trolls on YouTube are evil. And Stolen From Me by Lindsay... All the trolls are evil, and I'm really sorry you're having to deal with that. But congratulations on getting a 1,000 subscribers. That is absolutely amazing. You Should Have Ghosted podcast said that the good thing is that their little brother finally went off to college for the last trimester of his freshman year. But the bad thing is that the weekends are never long enough. And I 100% have to agree. I really wish that the weekends were, say, five days long instead of two, and the weekdays were just, you know, two days long. But we can only dream. The round Here podcast said, the good thing is they got a great review slash recommendation on Facebook from a stranger. Congratulations, I am very proud of you. But the bad thing is, is that they're fighting off some sort of illness and it's not COVID. I hope you feel better soon. Now let's head on over to Instagram. Mila, 243, said that the good thing was that they had professional photos taken of their three-month-old, but the bad thing was that she screamed the entire time. I'm really glad, though, that you said that the photographer was able to get some really cute photos. I can understand where you're coming from about the baby crying the entire time, because I have a 13-month-old little girl, and I can tell you there has been a time where she cried for three hours straight, and there was absolutely nothing that I could do. I thought I was literally going to lose my mind. The Slice of Life podcast said, to sum it up, I am Wanda, and Sanjana is my vision. My husband and I and our friend Noah, who lives with us currently, watched WandaVision together, and I just have to say I absolutely loved it. I really wish there were more episodes, but even with a short series, I still loved it. The Strange Beauty podcast said that their boyfriend and them got to buy their first house. I am so very excited for you guys. I absolutely love owning my own home. I love being able to do things to the interior without really having to ask for permission. Because to be honest with you, I just kind of do the things and don't get permission from my husband. But hey, it turns out wonderful and he loves it in the end. And finally, Calamity and a Coffee podcast said that they just got their very first vaccine yesterday, and I am so happy. I got my first vaccine just a couple of weeks ago, and my second dose is scheduled on the 8th, and I just can't wait, because that means that hopefully soon, my husband and I and my daughter will be able to travel to Tennessee to go see our family, because my grandparents' My brother, my cousins, my aunt have never met my child, and obviously I really want them to meet her because, well, she's adorable. So my weekend slash week recap was on Friday, March twenty sixth. I turned 31. Yay, hooray to me, birthdays. And no, I am not 29 forever. I am proud to say that I am 31 years old, living the dream. A living the life, having fun, doing what I do, hanging out with you guys. So, Friday night, my husband and I and our friend Noah went to a little seafood place here in our area. We had delicious Dungeness crabs, snow crabs, mussels, shrimp, fish cakes, and it was just absolutely delicious. The weather was perfect, wonderful. Saturday, we got up. We went to the grocery store. We kind of went around different stores looking for some stuff. And then, about midway through the day, we had a few friends come over and they hung out probably till about 11 o'clock at night. We grilled some burgers, some hot dogs, had some fish, some okra, played a few games, hung out and had a bonfire and s'mores. It was just wonderful. Sunday was typical. We went to church, went to lunch with some of our family friends up here, and it was just bliss. And then Monday is Monday, and Tuesday is today. Nothing really exciting to report, so why don't we just go ahead and get started? Our seventh stop is Guam. Sharika Gallen, 19. Sally Santos, 12. And Julia George, 16 were killed in the early morning hours of November 29, 2014 in Hagatana, Guam when they were hit by a car. Sharika Gallen was born in Guam and had recently graduated from high school and was in the process of making plans for college. Julia George was just three years old when her family moved to Guam from Qasray. Her mother, Lila, described her as a neat freak who loved to clean. Sally Santos was in middle school when she and her mother moved to Guam from Pompeii after her father passed away. Police and fire personnel responded to the scene at Chalana Ramirez Street in Yago after a 911 call was received at 4.49 a.m. that there were three unconscious people by the side of the road. Several vehicle parts were found at the scene and some reports indicated that the possible make of the vehicle was a Nissan, all three girls were rushed to the Guam Memorial Hospital, where two were declared dead that morning, and the third girl died later that night. While there were no witnesses to the hit and run, a resident who lived on the street, Tony Ramirez, told police that he heard a loud thump and tire screeching that morning. He believes that what he heard was the accident. Sharika's father, Brian, said that he was told by investigators that the tire marks in the road indicated the suspect had pulled over to the right shoulder of the road after hitting the girls, and then pulled back onto the road and drove away. Two days after the tragic accident, Guam police announced that a person of interest had been brought in for questioning. Quadlin Gorong, 24, went to the police station and informed them that she had run over something early that morning. She offered to let the police search her car without a warrant. She was 100% cooperative with the authorities, and she told police that she was driving through a dark Yago street when she thought she hit something. She got out of her vehicle to check, but saw nothing. Even though she was interviewed three times by the police, she was never arrested. Guam Police Department closed the case and turned it over to the Attorney General's office. Quadlin was indicted by the grand jury on March 6, 2015, On three counts of manslaughter with special allegations, a possession and use of a deadly weapon, three counts of negligent homicide with special allegations, three counts of reckless driving with injuries, and three counts of reckless conduct. Her lawyer, Randall Cunliffe, argued with the court that they should dismiss the reckless driving and reckless conduct and use of a deadly weapon charge. He claimed that there were flaws in the original indictment she pleaded not guilty to manslaughter and negligent homicide. The trial was set to begin at the end of January of 2016, but it was postponed due to other pending matters and other cases before the Superior Court judge. The new trial date was set for June 20th of 2016. Quadlin appeared before the judge with attorney Jeffrey Motz, who worked in the same firm alongside Randall Cunliffe. He told the judge that he could not adequately represent her if the trial were to start on June 20th, as previously scheduled. Her attorney Cunliffe was not on the island at the time, so Moats would only have had 10 days to prepare. Moats told the judge that he had limited interaction with Quadlin and that it was Randall who had taken the lead on the case. The judge then agreed to postpone the trial again, and the new trial date was set for October 24th, 2016. Just days before the trial was to begin, information from the prosecution's key witness prompted Judge Maria Sinzon to dismiss the indictment against Quadlin without prejudice. Prosecution's key witness was Guam medical examiner Dr. Aurelio Espinola. He told them that it was extremely unlikely that Quadlin's Nissan was the vehicle that hit the girls. Even though there was a dent in the hood of her car, it was not consistent with the one that would have struck three people. There was also no blood or hair found anywhere on the vehicle. He also believes that the vehicle that hit the three girls had a bumper that was at least 20 inches off of the ground. Quadlin's bumper was only 17 inches off of the ground. He suspects that the girls were hit by a pickup truck. Guam law states that government has up to three years from the time the crime was committed to charge someone for a felony, other than murder or child sexual abuse. There have been no arrests made in connection to the case, and all the charges against Quadlin were dropped. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Guam Crime Stoppers. And we're back. Our eighth stop is in Colorado. December twenty seventh, 1973, Colorado State Patrolman Thomas Carpenter, 47, pulled up just before 10 a.m. to a stopped vehicle along the side of US-36 near Broadway. He did not make a report over his radio that he was pulling over. It is believed that he either stopped to help the stranded motorist or thought he saw something suspicious. During the possible altercation with the suspects, Thomas was forced back into his patrol car at gunpoint. Witnesses told investigators later that they saw him driving his patrol vehicle with two men in the back seats. Thomas was dispatched to a crash at the intersection of East 58th Avenue and Interstate 25 at a little after 10 a.m. He told dispatch that he was near Interstate 70 and Havana Street, which was several miles away from the area that he was supposed to be patrolling. Thomas was found a short time later in his patrol car at an apartment complex in the neighborhood of Montbello with four gunshot wounds to his head. Several witnesses said they saw two men running from the car. Police were given descriptions of the two suspects. Both were young. One was white with shaggy hair and the other was black. The vehicle that he stopped was also later discovered to be stolen. A former Colorado State Patrolman and friend of Thomas's believes that one of the men walked up in front of him and the other behind him and that they wrestled him to the ground. There was a very small break in the case that came two years later when his gun was found in a ditch in New Mexico. But after that, nothing. Thomas was born in Fairview, Oklahoma and moved to Montana as a child. He had one brother and two sisters. He graduated from Manhattan High School in 1961 and joined the U.S. Marines, serving until 1964. In 1963, he married Phyllis Wilson. They had three children together, Clay, Sheila, and Corey. He joined the Colorado State Patrol in 1968. His daughter Sheila states in an article on denver.cbslocal.com, that there's probably not a single day that we don't think about him. He has grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and none of them have ever had any type of relationship with him. She remembers the day that the two patrolmen came to their door and her mother saying, He's dead, isn't he? His son, Corey, said in an article on 9news.com that 47 years later, I hope and pray all the time that there will be some resolution And with that, possibly justice. One thing that my dad taught me is to never lower myself to their level. So it was easy to forgive the people who did this. I did not concentrate on them. I concentrated on my father. How my dad's life ended was not going to be my focus. His son Clay went into law enforcement just like his father. He has a blog called Surviving December that talks about his dad about the day of the murder and how he has handled the grieving process. He states that he hopes that he can help others who are going through something similar. The most recent post was written on October 31, 2020, and says, Last night we learned that my mom has tested positive for COVID-19. She has not exhibited any symptoms and is determined to fight the virus that has quickly spread through the nursing home that she resides in. Her nursing home had avoided the virus until last week when a young physical therapist tested positive. In a little over a week, over 40 people in the nursing home now have tested positive as well. This virus is real and it spreads fast from people that never knew that they had it. As you keep my mom in your prayers, please do all you can to prevent the spread of this horrible disease. You can find a link to his blog in the show notes. Retired Colorado State Patrol Captain Larry Toller was in the same academy as Thomas. He stated in an article that Thomas is the only one I know that was actually executed. We had officers shot, but nobody just executed like they did Thomas, and that made us very mad. I'm pretty sure justice was served one way or another. I guess we will never know what happened. All we know is that a very good friend, an officer, and a colleague was murdered in the line of duty. We do try to remember him every chance we get, and I think the family was cheated the day of the event, and they've been cheated ever since then. Metro Denver Crime Stoppers is offering a $10,000 reward to information that leads to an arrest in the case. Anyone with information regarding this case is encouraged to contact the Colorado State Patrol. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode of the Cold Case Road Trip. Check out this promo from my friend at the True Crime Files podcast. Hi, I'm Christine, and I'd like to introduce you to the True Crime Files podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on mysterious disappearances and unsolved murders. Every two weeks, we'll be releasing an episode that'll help you get to know a case really well without having to invest a lot of your time. Derived from the articles upon the True Crime Files website, you'll find that our show covers a diversity of victims and perspectives. You'll probably also notice that our episodes are narrated by Scott Fuller from the Frozen Truth and Status Pending podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the True Crime Files today so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, being a part of our True Crime community, and helping to shine a light on cases that might otherwise be overlooked or underreported. Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, at The Murder Bucket, on Facebook, at BucketMurd, and on Instagram, at MurdBucket.